Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Greg Knoll, we revered and celebrated and gave Lifetime Achievement Awards to, was in large part a character he created and played. That character was one-third appearances, linebacker physique, jailhouse trunks, one-third long-form storytelling, one-third assorted vulgarities souffled into entertainment. And in the early 1960s, when the pieces all locked into place, that was it. Game over. Greg loved playing the role. We loved watching and listening. There was no turning back. From the Encyclopedia of Surfing, I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. And I'm James Brewer in London. This is the Sunday Joint, where we roll up Matt Warshaw's weekly newsletter for a deep inhale of surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we pay our respects to the recently deceased Greg Knoll, a.k.a. Da Bull. Not many surfers were larger than life than Greg Knoll. From pioneering big wave surfing, to documenting the early days, to building finely crafted surfboards and laying the foundation for the budding surf industry, and then finally walking away from it all after riding one of the largest waves in history. Noel's stories were of myth and lore. We discussed some of those legends, and of course, we try to crush each other's spirit with Stump My Bro. The Sunday Joint is an adjacent podcast of the Encyclopedia of Surfing on the Surf Splendor Podcast Network. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. 
It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, Greg Knoll... Uh, for our listeners, we, we had to do a few takes because that sounded a little too uh, jovial for the recently deceased Greg Knoll. So <laughs> that was, <laughs> got a little think, too excited well, reading is, it. I th- the thing about Greg <laughs> Knoll is, you know, he was such a, you know, like upbeat guy, you know, and like, you know, it's such a, a funny guy as well, an interesting guy and full of life, you know, that you get carried, you get into that and it's like, oh, yeah, there's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously go too soon I, well yeah but he's do you know like when you're talking about him and everything and like the myths and the legends and do you remember when we had our episode where we talked about legends yeah and we were talking about how like kind of a legend has to be told about you rather than you tell them well i was thinking you know with greg Knoll's life was so interesting like you, you know someone else could have written a biography about it but his autobiography and the way he tells stories are so good. He's like his storytelling ability, I think, yeah. is like on par with his surfing ability in a way that like I'm so glad that he wrote the autobiography rather than well, a biography. I think he makes it better. You know, he had help from Andrea Gabar so that they, he had a he had a co-writer with that. And then totally. in the book, there's lots of excerpts from other people who contributed, particularly mm. like his his wives uh, and some other other notable surfers who helped corroborate, I think, some of the stories. So it didn't seem <laughs> like 
Uh, this is this guy just telling all these stories about himself. And I think that helped lend some uh, credibility to to those stories also. And, and variety to the story, yeah, totally. Of course. But, but, you know, every interview with like he's he's such a great he was such a great talking head, you yes. know, in films, articles. He, he always well, was able to tell the story. You know? Well, like like Matt said, he 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 created this character, this persona about, you know, himself, you know, and. You know, he he and he liked to live up to it. I mean, you know, that that video clip of him in Pacific Vibrations, you know, eating the cheeseburger, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's great, you know, because it's like he he loved to like one of the common themes about Greg Knoll in his life is railing against establishment or, or ruffling feathers, you know, going going kind of an opposite direction in some ways, you know, like he. You hear stories about when he was younger, even like he he rebelled he, or he he tried to go against the grain on many things, um, you know, just from that to his marketing and advertising and storytelling. So there's, there's kind of this rebel in him for sure. Yeah, but he rebelled. It was like a specific type of rebellion, wasn't it? It was like if he thought that people were, you know, bullshitting or were, were, were taking things too seriously, you know, making mm -hmm. things a bit too much like that he would that's when he would jump in whereas he was the he was also the first person you know when you talk about him building himself up he he also was so good at building other people up and yeah. telling and, and in a way he was somebody who ended up telling the stories of other people and and then later in life when he had his Dabul, you know festivals he was like putting other people on a podium instead yes of, and even in uh, i think in 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 matt's thing or somewhere in there, you know, he points out one of his adverts, you know, his yeah. ads, how there's, it doesn't, he doesn't say anything about himself. It's just all about the other surfers. Absolutely. You know, he, um, you know, I was watching uh, in preparation for this uh, search for surf with, um, and it's basically Greg Knoll and Bruce Brown going through their old footage and talking about it, basically and giving kind of like a director's cut almost to all of his old footage, which I highly recommend people watch. I think it's on the surf network. You can go watch it. It's, it's awesome because it really gives you a feeling and it really contextualizes the whole early era of, of surfing of modern surfing. You know, you really hear all these incredible stories and humor, but I don't know. Greg Noll has this great way of telling story where you don't feel like it's all bullshit either. You know, he has a he has a very no bullshit kind of approach to his storytelling. It's not um, grandiose and not it's it's it sounds very matter of fact when he describes everything, you know, and there's a there's definitely a little bit of humor and laughter to it all and like oh my god and it's his movies built up other surfers uh, incredibly and he always had like uh he always revered many other surfers everyone from buffalo kilana to pat curran you know he always like built up those people yeah and, and even like you know we say he built up his own character but he was the first person to you know take the piss out of himself absolutely absolutely i mean you know the the uh i always think back to surfers the movie where he, you know, they have the big wave segment and he's like, oh, you know, all this talk, what was it like being the first to surf big waves and why am I, you know, and all this stuff. And, you know, and then he's like, you know, 
it's all bullshit. He says, you know, it, it was just a really nice sunny day at YMA. And we thought, and it looked kind of, kind of appealing to us. You know, it wasn't like he didn't make it seem so heroic, I guess. Yeah. And that's the thing. He was kind of the um, spiritual father of, you know, like Todd Chesser and Brock Little, you know, like those kind of guys who would, do the big wave gnarly stuff, but would always just be like, this is fun. This is cool, you know, and have a sense of humor about things. He's the archetype, you know, of the big wave surfer in many, many ways. You know, he, he set, like, it's, it's interesting. Like he, he's kind of set the tone of what a, a big wave surfer should look and act like, but uh, you know, he did one type of archetype. Cause there he, one type, of course, of course. Yes. Yes. You know, like definitely. There's, there's the hymns and like Chesser and you know Rock Little, Little and, and you know uh, uh, you know some others. But then there's the more serious, you know, kinds. You know, yeah. the more lone, lone wolf kind of guy. Pat Curran type. Uh, absolutely, they were a cast. Yeah, of Pat Curran would be like Derek Dorner would take after him. You know. And, uh, yeah, you know that would be an interesting, be interesting to see that lineage. You know. Where would Mark Fu fit in with one of those guys? Who 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 do you think would would uh, maybe Ricky Gregg? Oh yeah, because Ricky Gregg was always someone you know he would you know lend uh, yeah Ricky Gregg would you know, would would you lend his ideas to different you know TV shows and films and stuff like that. He had no problem self promoting himself. Basically. No no no. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Mark Fu was known for his self promotion as well. Yeah. Uh, Michelob surfboard. <laughs> mm -hmm. Both really good-looking guys, you know. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, you know. That that could be a little a little project, you know, like to see who's the if in family tree of surfing, you know, not just big waves. So you know, like who are the? Yeah, I like I I always that. I always thought that Brad Gerlach like took off from Rabbit. But I thought, yes, like, totally. Like, who's the? Gosh, yeah, so who's who today, you know? The lineage. Yeah, well, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, you always, um, I always try to think like, oh, this is so-and-so of today. Like, John John Florence is kind of the Tom Curran of today in my mind in some ways. And maybe Dane Reynolds also falls into that Curran lineage to a certain degree. John John maybe is more got Slater Curran in him, you know, kind of yeah, a hybrid of the two. Yeah, yeah you know, Um yeah, I think like, and then Ken Bradshaw would would be of like a Greg Knoll kind of vein. I think was he? Uh, maybe no, he was Greg. No, because he was so serious not. and True. earnest. I mean, I love Ken Bradshaw, but and I love his seriousness and earnestness. But mm, and you know, right. like, he wasn't like, and I mean, like Greg Knoll was always drinking and all stuff. Whereas you know, True. Ken Bradshaw was a you know health nut, you know, and all that stuff. Who who would he, Fred Van Dyke? Maybe I wonder. Buzzy Trent. Oh. Yeah, but although, but Fred Van Dyke was like a real gentle kind of yeah. guy, you know, and like um like a hippie it, at heart. Maybe actually. Buzzy Trent, potentially. Yeah, I like to feel Ken Bradshaw is you know more Zone. cosmopolitan and worldly, <laughs> or uh, yeah, of course, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. But you know, and Ken like Bradshaw that, is actually super approachable. Like, like at least had out your of the interactions water. with him. Yeah, well, and you saw, you know, remember the interview that we saw, like he's just such a a nice guy, articulate, you know, like really engaging. Although yeah, we, we should do don't a want him to, episode. <laughs> we should totally do one. But 
You don't want him to bite your rail out of your surfboard. <laughs> well, you can take it as a badge of honor. I think that would be like, you know, like a hickey from Kanicki, you know, cares to send the very best. Hickey from Kanicki. <laughs> and that's, you know, so that brings back, to, you know, like, I think one of the, Greg Knoll, like, there's so many aspects you could come at him with. But like, mm -hmm. he's, he really was kind of, kind of the way, like, you know, Nat Young has been like described as like an, an avatar for his generation, you know, like he kind of was like, you know, like kind of an avatar for the, you know, kind of 60s kind of surfer, but definitely was like leader of the zeitgeist of the yes. hippie movements and, and then, you know, the resurgence of longboarding, he was like that. And Greg Knoll, you know, for a while was very much like, if you wanted to look for an example of the 60s, 50s kind of surfer you yeah at him an example of the industry titan of the 60s you could look at him an example of you know like the resurgence of all you know like the the past and the longboard he was that kind of guy so he's he's perfect for like if you want to learn about surfing learn about greg Knoll first and like branch out from there yeah well i mean he's you know like greg Knoll. what was he's exactly the perfect representative of that generation. He would be mm -hmm. the person like study him and you'll learn, you'll, you'll get a really good idea of what the surfers were like of that time period. And, and he, he's the perfect representative of that. Cause not only, not only was, he was also, you know, I was watching the search for surf. His surfing was great in small waves. Actually, mm -hmm. he was a pretty decent small wave surfer when he was younger. And um, oh, not pretty decent. No, I mean, he, like, was, he was like one of the best, you know, at that time in the 50s, he would definitely be up there. You know, he would be considered one of the better surfers. Um, and also, but also he, you know, one of the things is uh, he was like one of the first guys to film surfing in, in mainland Mexico uh, or Mexico in general, actually. And he was also one of the first explorer. Like he, he promoted the idea of surf exploration and had a huge influence on Bruce Brown, which then influenced everyone else with Endless Summer. So, I mean, his influence is uh, kind of amazing. And then, like, his shaping, you know, uh, he lived near the, you know, the lumber yard, so he was able to get all the nice balsa before everyone else, which was always good. And uh, yeah. his shaping... Yeah, he was one of those, you know, like the, what's, the South Bay, you know, like, shapers, which was, like, a big thing, like, Velzy and... Dewey and Hap Jacobs and Bing Copeland Bing. and all those guys, they were all, that was where kind of like the cradle of surfboard civilization. That was the birth of like the surf industry, basically, you mm -hmm. know, they, they started it. Uh, I mean, there's so many accolades you could put with him. Like he, he shaping his surfing skills, big wave surfing marketing. He was a marketing genius too. his ad advertising not just that, like the, the trunks, you know, the striped trunks is brilliant marketing. Branding. You know? Yeah, he was it, it totally, the Greg Knoll brand. Yeah, it really was. And it was because some other guy was basically trying to, uh, you know, take his um, take his, his his some of his waves because they couldn't tell who was who. You know, um, there's like a little piece I read in there, like um I'm trying to find it but uh yeah it was really really funny like how everyone would you know you couldn't tell who is who on the big wave so that was his way to figure out how he could figure out who himself was and went to like mne and got like his his stripe jailhouse uh board shorts made which was cool 
Yeah. No, that was like, and then his, his Decat ads, you know, with uh, Mickey Dora. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so cool. Like he started, like, I, did you read anything about like these ads? I was, I was reading oh, yeah, in the, yeah. the Greg Knoll book and for our, for our listeners, like this guy was kind of marketing genius. Like he was, he started with an ad. Like, I, I don't think he was like, he was just naturally gifted at marketing. And he started with the ad with Mickey Dora before the board was even designed. And he started this ad with like a golden sheet over the board. You couldn't even see the board. You didn't even know who the, the cat was. Didn't say Mickey Dora. Then the second ad, it revealed it was Mickey Dora's, you know, and they still didn't show the board. And then like, you know, they would insult people. They would insult, uh, you know, some of their customer base even. Uh, it was just hilarious. Well, he, you know? I guess he coordinated that because the one, um, obviously, you know, like Mickey Dora had a lot of input into the ideas yeah. for insulting, you know, the people. And then um, the, the person who I feel like they need to talk about more is, you know, um, Duke Boyd. You know, he, Duke, he, Duke Boyd was part of that whole thing. And he was a real, like he's, he had success with that, with Hang 10, with Golden Breed as well. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, and with, and then with Lightning Bolt, he's, he was the man driving Lightning Bolt, you know, like that guy was, is interesting. He, he shaped a lot of surf culture, you know, and then he had his Duke Boyd brand as well. You know, um, mm. I would, I would love to, I mean, there probably is a really good profile in Surfer's Journal and I just haven't, haven't no, seen it. No, no, there isn't. That's, somebody needs to write that. Maybe you Seriously. should write it. We should, we should write it. We should write a whole thing on it. That's you write brilliant. the first draft. I'm not good at writing first draft. I, <laughs> I'm good at looking for, you know, capital letters and periods and <laughs> change the preposition there. You, you know. can help me with the research, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, they, they were like, they were cool. He had the theory of evolution ad, which was really cool, where it showed mm. like, you know, Crow Magnum on up to, to Dora. Johnny uh, is famous or something Johnny- like that. <laughs> well, yeah, there was one where he insults Johnny Fane and says, uh, oh, that's a good one. I love um, the insulting ad is great. He's like, my name is on the cat model and I have to keep in the, keep it in the right hands. I don't want some acne stricken adolescent in Pratt Falls, Iowa, using the cat for a court car ornament or some showbiz creep in Malibu colony using the cat as a coffee table. The cat is too pure and sensitive for the clumsy touch of the occasional pseudo surfer. If you which, don't surf, don't start. Exactly. You know, which is also kind of funny being that they replicated the boards then like in the early nineties, him and Greg Knoll just for that reason. So that it can be sold as like a coffee table book, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I found like there's a chapter on Dora in, in the, the bull book. And I just, I found their relationship kind of interesting. You know, they, they kind of, he, he has comments on Dora for sure, which are, you know, he, he loved the con. He loved uh, the caper. It was kind of the, the word he used, uh, but took it too far. Whereas, you know, Greg liked a good caper as well, but had a, had a limit on how far he would take it, you know? Um, but I found both of them kind of, it was interesting. Like they both uh, struggled with, you know, they railed against, 
kind of surf industry and selling out, yet they both kind of did in some ways. And they had this conflict, both of them. They, they were conflicted of their feeling, their love for surfing, but also selling it out. Uh, and they talk, he talks about it in the book a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think the thing with Greg, what, the, what kept him from being more like Mickey Dora, I suppose, is, you know, he had, you know, the kind of, um, he was a lot more secure a person deep down. I know he had his insecurities yeah. and he talked about it, but he's somebody who, you know, like he, well, he had like a real loving um, stepdad, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, where, where's, you know, Mickey had tough relationships, you know, and, and both also, from divorced families, uh, you know, from a yes, very young age. But but like Greg Knowles, you know, his stepdad was like a real kind of like, you know, guiding force in his life. And they were good friends, you know, like he was like a, a loving kind of guy, you know. So that yeah. must have helped in so much. And, and because that's the thing, like Greg Knoll would have this, the veneer, you know, and like play the game and have the, the public Greg Knoll. But then he also always talks about his really close friends, you know, like who he could really open up to. Whereas they say, you know, Mickey never really had really close friends where he shown his complete vulnerability to. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the, I guess that's, and Greg Noel would say, you know, like, I love, you know, like, I, I love calling bullshit on things and all this, but I also realize, hey, you know, like, I want to, you know, I, I can, I can compromise, you know, like, it's, <laughs> it's a game, you know, whereas Mickey would just be like, no, 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 it's everything, it's everything. You know, I liked, you know, what I always loved about uh, Greg also is his, um, Reverent, reverent, reverence for Hawaiian and Hawaiian culture, you know, and how important they were. He always made um, made it a really important thing. He always went out of his way to really mention that. And, mm. and you know, whenever he spoke, he always spoke in very high regard, even though he would get, you know, beaten up as a Howley and take his licks. He took it as like, that's what you do when you go over here, you know, because you're on their land. He, he had a he had a profound respect for Hawaiian culture, I felt like. And it wasn't did. like without I wonder how much influence Greg Noll had on, uh, on on surf culture in general on our, you know, like warm, you know, like our reverence for Hawaiian culture, because it's, it's still not enough. But yeah, maybe maybe it's more than it would have been had it not been for people like Greg Noll. Yeah, you know, I, I always, for me, like there's that one scene in, in Surfers, the movie, uh, where it shows him with the black eye and everything. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, you know, if you had to take a few licks, you know, it was worth it. You know, I always, that always stuck with me, you know, and I was like, wherever I go surfing, traveling, I, I expect to get some sort of, you know, I don't expect to. I don't expect surfers to just give give me waves or 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 make it easy for me. I, I expect there to be some difficulty, some resentment towards me coming to their place, their home and surfing their waves, you know, and I need to give respect in that regard, you know, and, uh, and I think like that always stuck with me and always I felt like was really important and had a huge influence when I went to Hawaii or any places to surf. I always was very aware like i'm not on i'm not i'm on your territory i'm in i'm intruding in your your place and if i need to take licks or if something you know if i need to get harassed or whatever like that's that's the that's the cost of of going to the surf these waves you know so yeah and know. it's in a way in a way like the way like uh, i know like 
when Eric Clapton started to get real big in the 60s. So he would say, like, look, don't listen to me. You need to listen to Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, yeah. you know, these guys. They're the, and like really trying to, you know, like, yeah, direct attention. So how much he respected. And then also, I mean, he, but he, it wasn't just that he thought Hawaiians were cool. I mean, like his, his, you know, two of, two of his, I guess, three best friends, you know, were, you know, were Hawaiian, you know, like yeah. Henry Priest and Buffalo Kalana. And he talks about, you must've read that one story where he's sleeping at Henry's house and they're, they're all drinking and he goes and crashes out cause he's got a flu or something. And then he, Henry and a couple of other Hawaiian dudes are hanging out, getting pissed. And then late in the night, two of them go, Hey, wow. Should we go work over the Howley, you know, like, <laughs> and, and Greg hears us. He's like, oh, fuck, you know, but then Henry jump pushes, stands up and he goes, bro, he's my brother. You know, you yeah. fight him. You got to fight me first. And he said, man, that was like the, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, like he loved, you know, like he yeah, loved he Henry priest and, and also Buffalo Kiolana, like speaks in great <laughs> reverence to them, but also, you know what they did was early on, um, you know, they, a lot of the Hawaiians were still using kind of, um, you know, more what would be called outdated equipment, you know, and uh, the hot curls and stuff. And so they spent time shaping a lot of boards for the locals too, which helped build a lot of goodwill. You know, I think for for some of that, some of the surfers from California that were coming over there. Um, and then, um, you know, I think that helped quite a bit. And then, you know, he was also in his later years making olos and ancient boards, you know, with with, you know, all the the co wood and everything, you know, it was just like really cool. I mean, his craftsmanship of that and that, those were dedicated and he donated them, I think, to um, to the museum in Hawaii there. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I After think he sold a few to Fernando. A Fernando and Paul Nordy, you know. Of course, of course. <laughs> and this other guy, like, did, did you get me this book? You know, the Greg Knoll Surfer Surfboard book, The Order of the Surfboard? Probably uh, at the, the back, it has pictures of like his collectors and some really wealthy guy who's like in the marble business, like marble floors and stuff. Who has his boards? Oh, wow. <laughs> there's, there's some great surfboard collections. Yeah, I, I mean, you can, oh man, yeah, like <laughs> I love this house that this guy's got. Pretty nice, That's sick man. Imagine yeah, having some one awesome of those. pictures, and there's some of the um pictures of oh uh, yeah this book it's it, written by drew campion with with greg Knoll. look look at um i don't know if you can tell like the sculptures he made yeah and the um oh the sculpture of the surfboard where is it uh so i know this is unless this goes to video like it's like just it's not a board you can actually use but it's just kind of like a, a dream surfboard you know oh man yeah. So cool, like we're looking sleek. at like this super sleek, long gun rhino chaser kind of board that you probably wouldn't ride, but it's super pleasing in the eye to look at. I'll scan them you in. Know. You could put them up on uh, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Um, I also, uh, I love, I just, there is like <laughs> how he documented that time period and there's this one story that I, I need to mention that I thought was the best is when they were 
they got on that cruise ship back from Hawaii to the mainland and it was $5 <laughs> all you can eat uh, at dinner. And so what they did was they, they all worked out all day, burning as many calories as possible. And then uh, the goal was to be able to, uh, you know, they, they would train and they would have like a train-a-thon, burn as many calories as possible and eat, so that they can eat as much as they can. They would work out all day on the boat. They were doing cow settings and there's footage of them, like all lined up doing like, like crazy fucking workouts. And the goal was to, to say to the waiter, uh, they would have everything on the menu. <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. and like they would just hand the menu to the waiter and be like, that'll be fine. And they'd be like, what do you mean? We'll take everything. And they would have like 35 dishes on there. It was awesome. Like, how cool would that be? <laughs> Sometimes like fan, I fantasize about that. <laughs> well, I remember reading an, a National Geographic article on sumo wrestlers, and it just sounded like the dream <laughs> lifestyle. Basically, what they would do is in the mornings is they'd work out all morning and they'd spar and train with the other sumo wrestlers. And then at lunchtime, and they had a picture of this, it just shows four sumo wrestlers laying down on the ground in front of a big TV. And they've just got piles and piles of sushi. And they would just spend the whole afternoon chowing down. And then like at nighttime, they go out to the clubs and they were rock stars. You know, I just, oh man, like to be a sumo wrestler, and the, like the clothing, so comfortable. You just wear a big cloth nappy. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> how great would that be? I yeah. Mean... And then I remember reading uh, Bob Marley's biography. They did a similar kind of thing where, like, Bob and his entourage. Bob would get up every morning and roll a big spliff and start playing some tunes on his guitar, and then everyone would yes. slowly wake up, and then they would all, Work a whole out. crew of them, would just go on this massive run. This massive run, then they'd go to what's it, Dunfalls or so, and, and they'd all wash each other's dreads. And they then they'd head back to you know, Hope Road is his home, you know. And then, oh, they no, they'd go out like to the market and just get all this idle food, you know, all this really healthy food, <laughs> come back. And then they had this, this chef, and he just like start getting to work, cook, 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 while Bob and the boys would all play soccer for a while. And then they were just gorge on all this really healthy food. And then they'd go out to the clubs at night. I mean, yeah, I think it's kind of a fun lifestyle, isn't it? To just like work out really hard all day and then just gorge. And then that does sound good. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to do that myself. I think you should start like a, a retreat or something like that where it's, it's it's not just like this, you know, yoga, healthy kind of thing. It's surf gorge. Like it's, it's basically just like surf all morning, eat all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> binge, binge surf and just binge after. Binge surf and work out. Like you get up, you do your yoga, and then like you do some calisthenics to warm yeah, you no up. Yeah, no eating, no breakfast. No eating, no nothing. You just get yourself maybe, maybe, starving. Maybe coffee. You know, maybe a little bit of coffee. coffee yes, that's fine. Yeah. None of that then, butter coffee shit. No, fuck like, that. None of that, none of that mud water either. Just real <laughs> fucking pure layered espresso. Yeah, no calories. <laughs> no calories. No creamer. Um, and then you go surf. Yeah, that would be kind of awesome. Because but, you know, like that, you know that hunger that you get when you surf and you're like oh, man. starving. Like it would just it would be like just working up your horn. It's yeah, it's like. It's like, you know, like abstaining from sex for a while, you know. <laughs> so I had this, 
about a month or month or two ago when uh, uh, Jeremy Dean was in town and we surfed six hours straight, just just total surf binge, like gorged on surfing. Waves were so good, and we were starving. We were so hungry, and Jeremy's like, "Let's just go to the supermarket." And we just went and they had like all the prepared sandwiches and potato salad, coleslaw, all this stuff. We bought so much fucking food and we did this. And then we just binged watching the waves. We were, we were going to go surf again. And we're just like, we started eating. We're like, we're not going surfing again. (laughs) There's no way we're surfing after eating all of this. Like we got, they had like, you know, that boneless Buffalo wings and all this sort of stuff. We got, I mean, it was, yeah, this could be, you know, like, Paying on like you know, like carrying on the legacy of Greg Knoll, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's what it is, though. I, th- I think it's funny, like that surfers kind of kind of still do this in some ways. You know, we, we uh, binge, we gorge. Uh, um, he had an appetite for everything, like yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's you know, uh let's talk here. He, you know, he he basically discovered Rick Griffin too. Had him do a lot of his logos and everything. Like, really? It's really funny when you see like the old Greg Knoll ads and stuff and like all the little doodles and stuff by Rick Griffin for like renting a surfboard and stuff and thinking that he became the psychedelic showman. Totally. And he kept misspelling intermission, apparently. (laughs) In all the movies. (laughs) Or... How about this for another huge influence with Greg Knoll were the, the bringing the Malibu chip boards down to Australia for the, you know, lifeguard convention they had, you know, well, during we the talked Olympics. about that yes. on one of our episodes, like how that was, you know, like one of the major. Profound. That was in our Aussie US love fest uh, episode, you know, um, that was like one of the most profound, you know, uh, probably gifts he gave Australia, you know, and they loved him. Yes, they did. Like <laughs> seven times or something like that in 24 hours. <laughs> they loved them seven times in 24 hours. <laughs> That's a thing. Like Greg, Greg Noel was like, I mean, God, you look at the footage of him when he was young. I mean, he was this, yes, beautiful guy. Like he was just, you know, this guy. He, <laughs> and he had the, the personality. Like, God, he was. He, 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 had a, he had a way with women for sure. You know, he he definitely did, you know, and then he was married to Beverly and mm-hmm. yet had Laura going at the same time <laughs> at one point. Yeah, there was a bit of overlap. I mean, you could read about it in his book, like him getting caught in the fish tank, I think. Yes. <laughs> Which isn't a euphemism, actually. He was actually in a fish. Like, it must have been a massive fish tank. I would be a pretty big fish tank. What yeah, kind of fish are in there? Yeah, it's It's... <laughs> read the book is the book still in publication Debo, i like, don't think so i don't think so i think you'd have to search amazon and like i don't think that it's been reprinted ah oh, man because i know like some of these books that like you think oh yeah i should buy it and then you don't and then they don't print anymore because surfing's still like you know a small audience um and then you see some of these books they're like i wanted to get um tom blake's book that he uh, oh, no, surf was, riders or the no, it was, the, it was the, the one that um was it gary lynch or one of the it was yeah. skip lock one of those oh that one 
you know what I'm talking about. One yes. of the surf historians, like the original surf historians, wrote a, a biography about him. Yeah. And I remember when it came out in Surfers Journal like 30 years ago, it was like 20, 20 buck book or something like that. And I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, I'll get it. I should get that I around. I never did. So then I looked it up a few years ago and it was something like seven hundred dollars or something because there was only a few. I was I was at one of the launch events at a surfboard auction in 2001 in Hawaii. And uh, I was there when they were showing the book basically for one of the first times and it was big thick and beautiful hardbound the Tom Blake book yeah yeah and I wanted to buy it but I didn't have enough money at the time it wasn't twenty dollars it was like like a hundred dollars or something because it was mm. huge book um yeah so it would be I know some people who have it and I need to get that hmm. all right Christmas gift but for Jamie I know what to get <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a way to get it. Um, you know, then yeah, um, that... go on. No, it was a great book. It, I mean, and that book, I remember book. when I, I read it in like two days because it's such a page turn. I mean, I, I wonder what it'd be like reading. I was only like 16 at the time, but I was just like, I could yeah. not put that book down. Like every page was just, you know, like it was like, eating sugar you know it was just every page just was like sugar you know just another <laughs> sugar it's just, just sugar <laughs> i mean that's the other thing i wonder if it would wear well over time like um you know like his his sense of humor was of a certain era for sure like like yeah. the you know matt put the the link to um this, the, this the, big the wave joke you told at the big wave awards recently oh. and uh I, I watched it. It was cringe. <laughs> I know, but I, it's a tough one. You look at him, you know, he's, you know, I, I, I hadn't watched the whole thing and I only read about it afterwards, you know, like the, the context of everything. And you listen to the joke and it's very, yeah, very outdated. But then you see him, you know, like a very old guy, you know, and uh, still up there, still, you know, like <laughs> instead of just saying a few words, you know, like took the opportunity to try to, you know, Make it a fun situation. <laughs> he was being grandpa telling dirty jokes, yeah. you know, like our grandfather did to us. You know, he just, it was a dirty joke. It was a red fox joke, you know, and, uh, you know, which, which, uh, yeah, you when know, you say red fox, is that Sanford and Son? Yeah, Sanford and Son, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so he was retelling that joke, basically, you know. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's pretty funny. It's kind of like, Kind of like the joke that grandpa used to tell us about the um the doctor yes, and the, the engineer. Yes, yeah, the biologist not that right now. <laughs> that is not an appropriate joke, but <laughs> how how about uh but he had a great sense of humor and I love the Ricky James thumb <laughs> being oh, yeah. encased in oh, fiberglass. Gosh. It's that's one I don't think it that's like you gotta go onto the you got to read it. US. You got to read, read it. it on US. But my question is, where is that that paperweight now? It was in his top drawer somewhere. I somewhere. Think. In his, yeah. In his, gubbin, in his gubbins drawer, his junk drawer. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about um, how about the fact that um, you know the wave in Makaha? You know, <laughs> I think the the best. 
the best, I think if you want to know about the wave in Makaha, there's a few things you need to do. One, on the EOS, there's a link to the chapter where he writes about it in Dabul, Life Over yeah. the Edge. Two, I think watching, um, you know, riding giants is good, you know, and you have yeah. Randy Rarick chipping in on the story. And then for the ending, I think you have to yes. watch your interview with Sean Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> Sean just Listen to so it. diplomatically and gracefully uh, puts his two cents in about it and answers Randy Rarick's part in the film. I think all these things, it's better if people go online and find them and watch it in a little three-part, 15-minute <laughs> kind of thing. Well, there's also... What did you it, want to say about it? Well, no, I was just going to say there's also the, um, the EOS. Um, there's the... Greg Knowles' 1969 Makaha Wave Has Thrashed Us All is also on, on EOS where they, they Matt basically dissects all these accounts of the wave and finds uh, some, you know, flaw in the storytelling of Greg Knoll, you know, because there's photo of a wave Greg surfing in Makaha that doesn't look that big. And Greg says, oh, well, that was, you know, the first wave I took. But if you read the account in in Debol or uh, you know some of the other accounts, he never mentions that he took a first wave. He only says he took one wave. So mm. there's some contradiction there, and there's some, you know, apparently Sean Thompson has photo of the wave, but he won't release oh, it. He know? has a film, of, a super film. eight film. But 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 in another time, he says, I, "I've lost it. I need to find that." You know. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> I press but the, Sean inter on the that. interview you made of them is is good. I think it's on uh, but, Swell Season. If you want to find it, Swell Season podcast, and there's a good interview with Sean Thompson live, which I did. Having said all that, there's a flaw in the facts of the storytelling. But if I remember correctly, and I haven't read Greg Knoll's account in a long time, but I can remember it pretty vividly, and. You know how like Matt said this and a lot of people said this, like a lot of times when you read about surfing, the best stories are about life on land, actually. Yeah. You know, where, uh, whereas talking about surfing is quite often not super interesting. But I think that Greg's account of that day and actually being in the water and everything, really, I remember it like I was hanging on every word, you know, it was interesting you it really it brought in a lot of factors and emotion and details i remember like he said he was sitting out there and this has never happened to him before or since and i don't think it's actually happened where he was just sitting in the water but the explosions of the waves inside of him further in were making his board vibrate and the droplets of water dance on his board like yes. that's impossible to make the water vibrate from a wave i but know like, the way just, he i was yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautifully, uh, beautifully done. And, you know, I love how he writes how, you know, he drives over, you know, to North Shore and sees it's closing out, can't get there. And then he's driving to the west side, you know, and, you know, and he had to like have his, his uh, wife, Laura, get out of the car and walk across the puddle while he drove you know, with one car door open just in case a wave came and yes. you know, washed the car, you know, it was like <laughs> harrowing just to get there, you know? know. And also, but the coziness, like how he said, like, yeah, you know, like 
Well, we're not really going to surf today, but let's drive over there, you know. We'll go see Buff. We'll talk story, you know. Have a few talking. beers. <laughs> yeah. That I loved. Yeah. You really get into the vibe. And you know those days when it's just out of control and it's kind of like nice, you know. <laughs> but, the but, but then he, he, he rides this wave that he says is 10 feet bigger than anything he ever surfed. Um, and... You know, and then he basically kind of walks away from surfing after that, not too long after that, you know, um, and I, I, I took a little snippet from the books. I, I really like this, uh, like, because it sums up his feelings about it all. Uh, do you mind if I do you, do you mind if I indulge a little the listeners here? Go for it. All right. After I had analyzed what I'd done, I asked myself, you're not going to top that. So where do you go from here? What do you do now? I didn't want to be like a punch drunk fighter going around and reliving that big moment. At first I felt let down. I thought everything would be downhill from there. In time, I felt sort of relieved. That feeling gradually turned into a great sense of satisfaction. Now I could go enjoy myself and my family. And for a period of two or three years, I just let off no competition, no pressure. I just enjoyed the ocean. Eventually I stopped going to the islands and it was years before I returned. You know, it's like when you conquer your Everest, it's like, where do you go from there? And he was even a little depressed after. And I find it interesting how like Laird Hamilton had that kind of feeling too, after the uh, millennium wave in, in Chopu. And I think a lot of big, big, big wave surfers kind of experience that for some, when you hit the apex of your career. And then it's like, where do you go? What do you do? And, you and also up. with big wave surfing, you, you really sh can't keep doing it because it gets dangerous. It's not like yeah, yeah it's smaller wave surfing where you can keep working on it the rest of your life, you know? Because it feels like to me, like Laird Hamilton, right? Like it feels like after that millennium wave, you really didn't see much of him after that surfing Jaws as much or pushing the envelope. You mm -hmm. know, it became, he just kind of became Laird. You know, he hit the zenith and that was it. There was nothing more he could really top. I mean, he was, you know, he's doing stand-up paddleboarding and, and foil boarding, but it's just not the same. You know, well, he's not pushing the boundaries. Yeah, and no, I've heard that, like, described about, you know, maybe Phil Edwards as well, you know, like where they, for, surfing for them was about, you know, a, a, achieving something you know mm -hmm. and um and also being being the the leader you know yeah um and and it was very important to them to be the leader and and greg Knoll is definitely the, a leader you know if not the leader same with laird hamilton and definitely mm -hmm. phil edwards with with performance surfing and once you're not the leader anymore it it takes a lot of what was interesting about it out of it i remember i had a friend who used to swim at, at the olympic level and then when she stopped competitive swimming, I, you know, just became a teacher. I said, you know, like, oh, so do you still go swimming? She's like, no, because for me, what I liked about, what I loved about swimming was the actual, like the racing, the training, you know, it wasn't just splashing in and around the water. Whereas maybe, yeah. for, maybe it's to get wet, get a little bit of exercise. <laughs> so <laughs> for them, it's like what made it super special, I suppose, you know, was, and that's the thing, like, you know, Laird still, Laird, Phil and, and Greg all still, they never left the ocean. Yeah, you know, like no. They all did other things in the ocean and that's, you know, but the actual, what they were known for, I guess. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. I have you. What's the biggest wave you ever surfed? Oh, well, you know, the 25 feet Hawaiian. Um, it's just no one's ever seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Much like Greg Knoll's last wave. Although, although I got <laughs> a little <laughs> nervous when Sean Thompson came over to me at that interview with a said, Jamie, I want to show you something. <laughs> Got a super eight footage of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do you ask anyway? No, no, just curious. Like, um, you know, like I think I, I know like... the biggest wave. I th- okay. Sorry, I'm jumping in no, before you no, tell you. Go, go. <laughs> no, no, you tell no, me I know, why I wasn't you gonna... wanted this. No, I think it's just because I think about like apex <laughs> of of our surfing, you know, and you know, and I still enjoy surfing very much on a, on a regular basis, but I definitely probably don't take it as seriously after a certain peak moment, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I look back and like, I take surfing seriously, but my performance and what I do with surfing is I'm never going to be as good as I was at a certain point uh, in my life. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just trying to think like, if I can relate to, to, to Greg Nolan in some ways. It's interesting. I've always talked to people about this. Well, I haven't always talked about people. It's not that many people actually want to hear me talk about this, but (laughs) (laughs) I've said this before. Let's just say that I've said it a few times to other people. Um, I, I always feel a bit fortunate that I never (laughs) achieved a very high level of surfing performance (laughs) because I do feel like I'm still capable of reaching my best surfing ever. Mm. Like, uh, because even in my twenties, I, I just didn't have, I didn't have the time to, to achieve it, you know, or the drive to become like amazing. Um, and, and maybe the talents as well. <laughs> so like, yeah. you know, like, so I, I, you know, I think it's really weird, even though I'm now I maybe only surf 10, 12 days a year. Um, I'm still, you know, the last time I went surfing, I did stuff that I'd never was able to do before simply because I just wasn't very good to begin with. So I could <laughs> <You> just <laughs> like I that, did, that, I that did a turn trajectory. that I, I learned off the internet and doing a little bit of Brad Gerlach thing. And I did like this bottom turn in a, and off the top on my back end in a way that I never did in my twenties. Yeah. Simply because I didn't figure out how to do it back then. So my physical ability now, even though I'm creakier and stiffer and heavier now, than I am then is not hindering me because when I was younger, I never reached my potential anyway. So in that sense, it's kind of cool. Like, like it's still, <laughs> I mean, but, but then the other thing is, I, I think we talked about this on one of our first podcasts for me, when, when I got into surfing, when I first got into what attracted to me to it, even though I liked reading about the pros and stuff like that, to me, it had very little to do with being a good surfer. And it was more about, um, I really loved, see, I think looking at those first few old SW magazines and blazing boards, the section when they're surfing in Queensland, is the blue water and the warm and the escapism and, and, and just the cool lifestyle, kind of the thing that attracts, I think, a lot of, you know, uh, you know, like adults into surfing now, like they're not into it to get good. They're into it for the, the, just the like beautiful lifestyle. And I think back then to me, it was all about that anyway. Yeah. So to me being, it was like the opposite of what that friend I had, who was a competitive swimmer was to me, it's all about 
yeah, just the joy of getting wet. Then, of course, I do like to be good and get better and stuff. But the underlying drive was never about being a really good surfer. So maybe that helps with longevity. In it. Hmm. I like that. I like that answer. Um, it was long. Sorry. It was, it was very nicely done. Very well you said. Edit bits out of you. No. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting with Greg that because he just basically kind of walked away from surfing, you know, it all changed too under around that time period. It went to shortboards. It was something he couldn't identify with. I think uh, his advertising kind of changed and became kind of a little too earnest and, and, you know, didn't read the room properly for the times, I guess. And, uh, you know, he had like, he had Ben Ipa shaping for him and Yancey Spencer for the East coast. Like, you know, he had, he had really good shapers, you know, but it just, I think it all changed and he couldn't identify with it much like a lot of surfers of his generation. It like became something totally new, totally different. And, and it's interesting because I see that now, actually, a lot of older surfers, like they, a lot of them are railing against what surfing is kind of becoming to, to some of them, you know, mm. you see beach grid and you hear Chaz Smith always bitch and complain about vows and whatnot taking over. And it's like, mm. yeah, surfing's changing. It's evolving. And it, it's not as recognizable as when you were younger. And do you walk away from it or do you change with it? I guess. And Greg, you know, walked away from it, went up north, became a fisherman and a crabber in I Alaska. I think Greg was so much a part of the culture yeah. that it's, you know, like, it's not like, that's the thing, you know, even, uh, you know, well, I don't know about you, but like, even though like I'm very much into the culture of surfing and do this and stuff, like my, most of my surfing experience is just me going down to the beach and I don't know anyone there anyway. So like yeah. it's, it hasn't really changed very much. I might be a bit more crowded. <laughs> Whereas Greg Knoll knew everybody, was part of the whole thing. He was a performance leader. And, and I love, Drew Campion has a good expression. He said, you know, in, in 1969, you either believed in gravity or you believed in space. And, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you think he said, you know, I like got the Surfer Pole Awards, like, you know, he said, you know, like Greg Nolan, those guys, you know, like getting, you know, like pissed on a jug of, you know, Thunderbird, you know, and dropping your pants was about as radical as a fellow would want to get. Whereas he yeah. was down at the pier with the new generation, you know, sitting around the bong fire, watching the waves oscillate. Yeah, it was a whole, whole <laughs> just that must have just been like, what the fuck is going on? Well, it's, it's beautifully shown in Big Wednesday, that shift and that, mm. you know, particularly when, uh, you know, and Matt and Peggy are at the what used to be the diner, you know, and he wants to get a cheeseburger and it's all hippie, you know, and <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a carrot smoothie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't serve that vibe here, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that's like. And that's the thing I think a lot of surfers are probably grappling with now. A lot of older surfers, I think it, it is, there is a cultural shift in surfing it's, it's, right now. It's the opposite has become much more like wholesome and like, inclusive. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, it's different in that sense, but that's it's the thing, right? It's the opposite. Yeah. You know, it's, but I imagine Greg, no, probably looked at some of the hippie surfers and them being soft and not tough or, or masculine or machismo, you know, because there was definitely like a, 
a macho aspect to to what they were doing and surfing kind of became hippie and hippie vibe and guys were more sensitive in some way some of it you know i'm sure you know there's lots of other things going on but there's a cultural shift and i think there's one right now going on and i think a lot of surfers are don't know what to make of it to to a certain extent um i do love that that greg you know then went on to like went into pretty gnarly stuff talking about being a fisherman you know and he compared he thought that was even gnarlier than the big wave surfing that he did mm. like that that was kind of crazy and then moving to alaska god like <laughs> well, no he didn't move up there no he wanted to move up there and they looked up there and they thought about yeah. it and then they were coming yeah. back down and he said the weather was a bit too like all over the place yeah, and then when they moved to, was it crescent, crescent city up it, yeah we surfed there in california we did and we 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 drank wine before going out surfing drank, a, drank a jug of carlo and rossi <laughs> um as you crack open another <laughs> pour another swig um you know but then he he came back you know with the bull legends contest at in costa rica won by who won the first one do you know well Tony Carmonico won yep. an event at, at one of the divisions at one of them. I yeah. Think. It yeah. was like the main division though, and the main legend division. And and then he became sponsored by Greg Knoll after that. For many of our listeners who are not aware, Tony Carmonico is a New York kind of legendary surf figure. Um, you know, and uh, had, you know, uh also some some interesting tales and stories, I'm sure. You know, of uh, you know, being being a surfer of the seventies, sixties, and seventies, and being good friends with Alan Weisbecker, <laughs> Peter Beard, and, and Peter uh, Beard, and he Freedom. was also like like Greg Knoll, like instantly recognizable with his perfect silver quaff and yeah. dark mustache. You know, like you had a run and in. he wore the shorts when he was sponsored by Greg Knoll. He wore the exactly. shorts. You had a run in with him during a ESA contest. No, I never had a run in with Tony. Yes, he did when they all made a stink because you would ride a BZ soft top nine foot longboard in the longboard division. And they it all wasn't. complained. He, they all complained because you were six foot two and the standard longboard needed to be three feet bigger than you. And the board was nine foot. And they said, it's not a longboard. You can't ride it. So you decided to cut off, cut up a boogie board and then duct tape another two inches to the foam board. So you kind of gave them the nice middle finger, basically. No, no, that's, that's part of that's true. Definitely the cutting, I, I added some, basically it was one event and I entered with it with a board. I'd grown, the, I, they'd let me surf in it the year before and then I grew too tall. So I, I was a little bit tall for it, but it, it wasn't Tony. No, Tony actually said, oh. Jamie, you, you got to get like, let me get you a real board, you know, like you should get on a real board. <laughs> he was always really cool. All right. I, I, th I, th I, I think it was Ron Murray, maybe, who uh. maybe said that board's too sh short. And uh, But then when I put the yeah bit of polystyrene foam on the end, I didn't do so well. So <laughs> maybe it was the advantage having the shorter board in the end, actually. <laughs> I still was, thought it was a really cool F you to, to some of the people who complained. <laughs> Channeling my inner bull. <laughs> so, um, Jane, do you know what time it is? 
It's uh, in London. It's twenty three twenty eight. <laughs> it's time for stump dump my my road. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one of a kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to thirty percent at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Oh yeah! All right, I've got some. I got some good ones. I prepped. All right, let's uh, let's see. You think these are ones which are not just like some really random one, like you know how much you know money did the first surfboard cost or something like that? You know, like no, it's a real question that like you know like was a good interesting fact to know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. All okay, right. all right. Let's yeah. see. How many have you got? I got a. I got like two or three. Okay, let's do it. All right, go right. back and forth. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Um, who is the surfer that gave Greg Knoll his nickname, the bull? Oh, it was Phil Edwards because okay. Phil Edwards said, like, I think it was at Pipeline was Greg Knoll kept yep. dropping in and stuff and getting pounded. And he says, gosh, I just knew you were going to go. I thought you had no chance, but you're a bullheaded son of a bitch. I think I'm just yes. going to call you the bull from now on. Damn, that is word for word, too. <laughs> fucking word for word, you bullheaded son of a bitch. I think I'll just you call you a bull me, from now on. Are you calling me a son of a bitch now? <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Sorry, sorry about that, Tyler. No, that was, I mean, it wasn't that hard, you know. It's okay. it getting warmed up. All right, so I'll give you one then. Um, All right. So... So and then I guess again, let me finish. I'll, I'll let we'll always let each other finish the story in case anyone wants to pause it at home. You know, try and work <laughs> out. This so, so Greg Knoll, fame, one of the you know you mentioned before. You know, he went over to the Hawaii and stuff like that. Really young. I'm, and the thing is, it was crazy. Like, like thinking about you know, people are always saying this. Like kids today live this kind of more coddled lifestyle, or at least when they leave the home, they leave a, a, a more protected lifestyle. Obviously online, you have a pretty radical lifestyle. <laughs> but, yeah. um, like Greg Knoll said in his book, you know, that when he was, uh, I think 11 years old, um, it, it, like his parents let Dale Velzey take him down all the way down to Wind and Sea and go to yeah. these crazy parties. They let him sleep on the beach um, under the pier, him and Hap, J, uh, Bing Copeland. Bing like, Copeland, Hap, yeah. Jacobs, yeah, like sleep on the beach when they were 11 years old under the pier, watching Del Vale like bring women home. I was just crazy. But then at 15, you know, he, Greg went over to to Hawaii, I think, and lived in Nanakuli, you know, near, near mm -hmm. Makaha, and went to school for, I don't know, one semester, two semesters, something like basically the winter time. And he went over with, like he didn't go over with his parents. He went over with some surfers. Yeah. And but he needed an official guardian. And so mm -hmm. he got one of his his older friends, who I think was maybe 19 or 20, to basically I was just reading this too. Damn it. And um and and this person who vouched for him, like, was kind of a really cool guy. In fact, Surfers Journal did a whole article on him. In fact, yeah. in the Surfers Journal article, they described this guy as um you know, things were a lot different for this guy when he started surfing in 1943. He paid 10 
bucks for his first surfboards, which is a Bob Simmons. Yeah. He lived, worked, and surfed with all the early riders along Southern California coast in Hawaii. And this guy now lives in Santa Barbara's backcountry, still repairing fishing nets after retiring a veteran commercial fisherman. And this guy was like, I mean, Greg Knoll in the book just talks about him just in the, you know, like as a really interesting character. Uh, he had a like a Danny Zuko pompadour. Anyway, yeah. this guy came over to the house and all wearing nice clothes and, you know, like I'm an upstanding member of the community, you know, and I'll look after Greg, make sure he gets a good education and, you know, and all this stuff. And basically they went over there just like, you know, got pissed every night and surfed every day. Anyway, who was the guy who was Greg Knoll's uh, guardian? I totally forgot. I know. I Damn it. I read Billy it earlier Mank. too. Billy Meng, yeah. Meng, Meng, M-E-N-G. Yes. Well, I don't know what kind of name that is. You know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I love that. So, Meng. all right. So, uh, love okay. 15, Tyler. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, this spot was once called Knoll's Reef. Name the spot. Oh, that's the Jocko's. And I love Jocko's. Like, um, it when I, in, in Hawaii, it was a left-hand reef which broke right into chuns and um it would and it was on the other side of the headland from laniakea and this spot like it was it was like an easy version of pipeline like you could kind of feel like it was broke on the west swell you could mm -hmm. feel like you were surfing pipe but it was much easier and yeah that was called Knowles reef and uh, yes it's so interesting. Like, I wonder how Greg feels about it being like usurped by another surfer. I mean, obviously, Jock Sutherland's cool. Jock Sutherland grew up at um, at Knowles Reef, like right yeah. on the bit there. Now, here's a little minor stump as a play on that. Which pro surfer in the '70s rented kind of like the kind of like the the garden shed kind of house at the Sutherland's house? Top Australian surfer. And surfed, so didn't really during the pro season in like the you know the seventies. Instead of surfing right at pipe and off the wall, and, and they, this person did, but they also surfed all those other great breaks like alligators and lunnies and chums, and of course Jocko's, formerly known as Knowles Reef. I don't know. Uh, he, he kind of brought back the twin fin, you know. Kind of won a few MR. World titles, you know. Yeah, MR. loves loves his KFC. Yes. So uh, yes, Knowles <laughs> Reef. Became Jocko's. Yes. I like that. All right. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. You're, what did you say in the original opening? What are we going to do to each other at this part? I thought it was a uh, bit harsh, but uh, crushing each other's spirits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you crushing mine? <laughs> I don't want to crush your spirits. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you, you know, you talk about Greg Noll, this is my question for yeah. you, you know, being a real innovator, you know, in so many ways and everything. And, um, you know, in the early days mm -hmm. of surfboard construction, yeah. obviously Bolsa, you, know, you mentioned that he had an advantage that he lived next to General, yeah. near General Veneer, you know, General the Veneer. choicest Bolsa yeah. with surfboards. Um, but then, you know, when foam started to come out, it was like, whoa, you know, and I, what was it, you know, like, I think... Um, uh, you know, uh, it was first uh, uh, Hobie Alter, you know, like was that I think he was at a party and some or someone came to the shop one day to show him this new polyurethane yes. foam, you know, and this is going to be the future. But then him and, uh, you know, Grubby Clark, 
you know, worked on, you know, like the formulas to get it right and everything. Yeah. Now I'm, so Greg Knoll obviously was like, shit, you know, like I need to get on this phone, but yeah. they weren't going to give it to him, you know? Yeah. Really? So, but he really wanted to, you know, like know the recipe to it. Now I'm pretty sure it was with Hobie and, uh, and Grubby. Now Greg Knoll did manage to get the ingredients from them mm-hmm. and he didn't steal it. They told him it, but how did he manage to get the ingredients the, the, from the, the formula? Didn't he get them drunk? That's right. <laughs> yeah, him and his, him and his uh, stepdad went over there yeah. and they got drunk together and got the thing. The next morning he said they woke up with a hangover and he woke up with the formula. <laughs> oh, Hi, Tyler, All you right. answered okay. one of them. Yes. That's All right. Sad. I think that's a toast right there. <laughs> All right. Um, I've got like these really, you got these wonderful long intros, and I just got these very basic questions. I feel it keeps like the um, rhythm. It keeps the rhythm. Yeah. It keeps the rhythm. <laughs> who, who was the first person to serve Haliva? The first person to serve Haliva. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like maybe Henry Priest because he lived yep. there, you know. Yep. Is it? Okay. He was the first. Yes. Good, good guess. Because I know he I lived like there, that. you know. Like, right. They went up there, they saw. And what what was his uh Hawaiian name? I don't know. It was the name of a, another famous Hawaiian surf break. If I think so. It's years ago that I read this. I think I remember it. I, I think it was Hanalei. I think his real name is really? Hanalei. I'm not sure. I think Henry is like his, you know, like anglicized version of it. Or maybe Hanalei is the, you know, like Kavika is the Hawaiian yeah. version of David, you know, maybe yeah. Hanalei is the uh, Hawaiian version of Henry. I'm not sure. Okay. Hmm. What's my Hawaiian name, Tyler? Like the Jamie. No, it's Kimo. Kimo. So like Kimo, really? Kimo Hollinger is James. Yeah. I did not know that. Although for everyone other my name really isn't James, it's Jamie, actually. On the Jamie. Yes. <laughs> Kimo. Kimo. All right. I, I've got I've got one more. Okay. Um, um so speaking of you know drinking, um so and you probably would have read you'd read read this if you read the, the bull book. So Greg Noel, like <laughs> there was another a uh, big wave surfer, not not as famous as as Greg Noll and others, but but someone who's been written about, who has mm-hmm. his own entry in the EOS um, from California. Who, one evening, I think it was Christmas Eve, um, stopped by Greg Noll's shop, you know, to say you know Merry Christmas and everything. And they were all Greg and whoever's working there, all having drinks and you know, kind of like you know, closing up shop at the end of the day. Anyway, Greg starts talking to him, and he's like, "Oh, Kit, you know, Kit, oh, I gave the ah! answer away." <laughs> thank you okay so while well, you're gonna have to figure out say so kit horn is the guy yeah. who came in and kit horn was talking if you've heard of kit horn you know, yeah kit horn was this really like rugged guy looked like a young al prisco i remember and um <laughs> local he, uh, surfer in new york <laughs> yes and he uh but he never really you know got to f- fulfill his potential he wanted you know he grew up with peter and corny cole and buzzy trends and uh, tom zan and um but one i think you know like got like a straight job you know like a career job so never fully committed to the 
pro or the you know the complete surfing lifestyle but also i think he had really poor vision um but anyway greg no <laughs> told him after a few drinks he said hey there's this special training method that we have for going over to Hawaii. And if you're going over, you should do this. And he tells them all about it. Kids like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. And they did it that night. Do you know what the training ritual was? Don't they just like beat the crap out of him? Like in a no. pool? <laughs> no, awful, I've heard Tyler. that story. <laughs> oh God. Or they put him in a garbage can and roll him down a hill. No. <laughs> Well, that's another story that um, was it uh, Carl Ekstrom tells this story how uh, one evening when he had like, I think he had the flu or something like that. Butch Van Ortsdalen called him up and said, hey, Carl, you know, you know, Carl Ekstrom, you know, who designed yeah. the boards yes. that go with the flow rider and everything. And he said, you, know, like, you should come, come over and uh, celebrate my birthday. It's my birthday. And uh, me and... Um, you know, the Patterson brothers, I think, and Blah James, you know, that really scary Hawaiian guy where uh, we're having cake, you know, you should come on over. He's like, hmm, sounds suspicious. These guys just hanging out having cake. That doesn't really sound the way <laughs> it celebrates. But it's like, no, come on, come on, come on. Man. <laughs> anyway, I think he didn't go over the end and like, thank God, because <laughs> it was like these guys basically set up a boxing ring in their lounge and just beat the shit out of each other with no <laughs> gloves and the next day they show up at the beach like with missing teeth and like swollen faces and everything fight club um <laughs> no the, the way that uh, greg told kit that used to practice a uh, train for big surf was not going underwater and holding rocks like you know uh um brian kailana would do you know what they did on god's hands yeah basically he suggested this and they actually did it they went down to lunata bay on Christmas Eve with a couple of big uh, truck inner tubes and a big bottle of wine. And it was, the waves were big and stormy. And they said, well, we, we got to, this is, you know, yeah, we got a, a Palos Verdes, you know, we yeah. got to paddle out and you have to sit right in the impact zone. You got to finish your bottle and you cannot let go of that bottle or else, you know, <laughs> it doesn't count. And he's like, yeah, man. So they went out there and they did it. Just got the shit kicked out of them by the waves, got completely pissed. Anyway, it gets dark and Greg loses Kit, but he's drunk. So he's like, so he comes back to the beach and he's like, Kit, where are you? And, all, and he's walking up the, the rocks and he's getting urchins in his feet. He's like, oh, shit, this hurts and all stuff. And all of a sudden he finds Kit face down in a puddle, like a tide pool, like blowing bubbles. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay, let's get you out of there. You got to drown. So he drags him out of there across all the shells and barnacles. Oh. And he's throwing up and Kit's a big guy. So oh, I can't carry you. So I'm going to go get some help. So he climbs up. You know, you have to climb up these cliffs at Palos Verdes, yeah. you know, Lunata Bay. So he gets out of there. It's dark. And he starts hitchhiking back to his house to try and like call people to get help. Anyway, Kit comes to and starts walking up the thing. And he's all cut up and bloody. And he slips <laughs> in a big pile of dog shit and gets shit all over him. <laughs> He's completely wasted, gets to the cliffs and he remembers, he knows someone who lives there. So it's Christmas Eve, it's dark out. He knocks on the door, they open the door and he just barges past, you know, like the, the husband and wife and just crashes out on the sofa and just mumbling about Greg Knoll and surf training. <laughs> Meanwhile, 
somehow like this message gets through to Kit's wife about Greg Knoll finding Kit face down in a tide pool. It's like, ah, he's dead. He's dead. So they call the cops and they oh, search around and they finally found him at this guy's house. And that's the way to train for big waves. That's apparently. the way to train for big waves. We should do that. If you ever want to go surf big waves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That was good. That was my stump. I like that. All right. Well, then, Jaime, that was a really fun episode. Um, chemo. Chemo. Uh, thoughts and, you know, our thoughts are with the Knoll family. But, gosh, like, what an incredible life. Well lived. Uh, Greg Knoll was an incredible person. His legend and myth will live on for years decades to come in surfing i think and uh, it'll probably only grow um so yeah um rest in peace uh and you know what i hate i hate people who go rest in power or whatever you know or i've rest never in heard paradise. that before oh yeah i see that all the time on instagram i'm just like just rest in peace you know you know you you, you pass on it's all good you know you don't have to have the power you know it's just seems a little weird to me. I don't know. It's an odd thing. Okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah. rest in peace, Greg. No, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, for all of you, uh, you can also follow us at the Sunday Joint on Instagram, and of course, you can go to Surf Splendor's website, surfsplendor.com, to find more episodes of the Sunday Joint. Some Thank you for joining us, and don't episodes forget episodes are on um on the on the EOS website, aren't they? And I was just going to say, you can also go to eos.surf. And if you are not a subscriber, you should be a subscriber. And if you want to learn more about Greg Knoll or any of the fun stories we talked about, you can probably find it on the EOS. So we hope you go to the Encyclopedia of Surfing, check it out, and uh, we'll catch you on down the line. You. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.